Hello and welcome to St John's Derm Academy podcast, our educational resource for healthcare professionals in dermatology. I'd quickly like to mention our disclaimer that the information in this podcast is based on up-to-date evidence and expert opinion at the time of its recording. The podcast is intended for healthcare professionals, so any patient listening should see their own physician for personal medical advice. Across the next two episodes, Dr Rakesh Patale is going to be joining me to talk to us about acne scarring. Dr Patale is a consultant dermatologist here at St John's Institute of Dermatology. He specialises in dermatological surgery, Mohs micrographic surgery and lasers. As well as leading our skin cancer service, he has a specialist interest in procedural dermatology, cosmetics and acne scarring. So he's very well placed to speak to us on this subject. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. In this episode, we'll be covering what causes acne scarring, when we should be thinking about treating acne scars, how to assess patients, and we'll also discuss the different types of atrophic acne scars that we can see. We'll then be dedicating a separate episode to talking about the different types of treatment for acne scars. Scarring is a really common consequence of acne, and it's estimated to affect around 90% of people with acne to varying degrees. It's a significant issue for people who've suffered with acne, and needless to say, it can cause both social and psychological distress. Treating acne scarring can be challenging, so as dermatologists, our focus is to take a preventative approach to avoid bad acne scarring by effectively treating acne in its early stages. Having said that, there are lots of different treatments we can utilise to reduce the appearance of scars when they do develop. So first of all, why don't we talk about what causes acne scarring and what makes some people more prone to scarring than others? Okay, so as you mentioned, acne scarring happens in a large majority of patients that do have acne. Interestingly, only a small proportion of people will have what we describe as severe acne scarring. But the psychological impact on patients of their acne scarring doesn't necessarily directly correlate with how severe their acne is. So in that sense, it's very important as a healthcare professional to try and see the impact of acne scarring from the patient's perspective, as well as having an objective um, assessment of the acne scarring as well in determining how best to treat someone's acne scarring. Um, So your question as what causes scarring is inflammation. So uh, there are certain patients that will have tendencies to scar versus other people, at least tendencies to develop severe scarring. Um, In the early stages, that can be very difficult to determine. So from a physician's perspective, it will be very difficult to determine for a specific acne lesion whether that's likely to scar or not. And that is backed up um, both from clinical appearance and also histological um, studies that show in the early stages the inflammatory cascade that you see associated with inflammatory acne is the same. Now, that changes over time. So patients that have a tendency to develop acne scarring will have an aberrant inflammatory response. Now, there's certainly going to be some genetic component to that, And that certainly explains um, the tendency for patients who have severe acne scarring to come from families that also have severe acne scarring in their adolescent years. There's some studies, not a huge amount of studies, that um, 
indicate that at about two to three weeks, it can be picked up from a cytokine perspective and histologically an aberrant type of inflammation. So this will be aberrant in uh, the T cell complement, macrophages, B cells, and the proportion of those cells in the skin. Now, what drives that? Very interestingly, the subtype of C acne also has an impact of how strong your immune response will be and therefore how you will scar. Okay, thank you. So when is the best time to start thinking about offering our patients treatment for their acne scarring? Part of that answer will be treating the inflammatory acne that they have. There's fairly good supportive evidence that if your patient has severe inflammation or if the patient has inflammation that is prolonged, these are two factors that make it more likely that that patient will develop acne scarring. And so the priority, I think, if the aim is to prevent acne scarring, is to intervene with the inflammatory aspect of acne um, to limit those two parameters. So severity of inflammation and duration of inflammation. Thus the uh, dogma of um, treating inflammatory acne early. Okay, so where we're satisfied that we've treated patients' inflammatory acne, uh, for example, after a course of isotretinoin, when then might we consider laser therapy such as laser resurfacing? Uh, I was always under the impression that we ought to wait at least 12 months before considering this. That's a really good question. Um, historically, there has been these time limits where if someone has been on isotretinoin first, that you should leave before you start any, especially resurfacing treatments, but also any specific acne scarring treatments. There was a consensus uh, document that got published a few years ago that actually showed there was a sufficient evidence out there that you didn't actually need to wait once they've had isotretinoin. And in fact, you could still be on isotretinoin for the majority of acne scarring treatments short of full face resurfacing. And that the fear was that it would slow your wound healing and you would increase risk of infection doesn't seem to be borne out in clinical practice. So you could potentially start with acne scarring whilst mastotretin. It also um, goes for patients that don't have isotretinoin. One question that's often asked is, do you have to have all of your acne fully suppressed before considering acne scarring treatment? Mm. And the answer is no. The majority of the acne, or at least inflammatory acne, needs to be controlled because there are some treatments that you don't wish to use over areas of inflammatory acne because they increase the risk of complications. So if large areas of the skin have active inflammatory acne, that's going to impair your ability to treat areas of the skin that you would otherwise want to treat with the acne scarring. So in summary, the acne scarring needs to be controlled, but doesn't have to be completely eliminated. Thank you. That's helpful to know. So now why don't we go on to talking about assessing someone with acne in terms of severity and types of scars? Right. So there's different assessment systems for acne. So there's a severity scale that's often cited in research papers for acne adapted from the Goodman Barron's grading system. And that's a system graded one to four. And essentially, as you'd imagine, grade one is mild acne. And there are some criteria of those of you that are interested can easily look this up and then goes to grade four being very severe. 
in the same way as the Leeds uh, grading system for acne severity goes from 1 to 12. This is a scale that goes from 1 to 4. Whilst that may be very useful from a research point of view, often understanding how to treat a patient um, and which modalities to use, it's often better to use the kind of a more descriptive nomenclature. And that is where many of you may be familiar with describing scars by their contour. And so that would be, well, atrophic scars will be described often as ice pick, rolling or box scars. And then you'll all be familiar with hypertrophic scarring or keloid scarring as the opposite. So I think when you first want to assess a patient for scarring, your first um, point should be to differentiate do they have hypertrophic scarring or do they have atrophic scarring? The vast majority will indeed be atrophic scarring. Another point to make, and I think this differs really between us as healthcare professionals and the patient's perspective, is pigmentation. Most patients that I see see pigmentation, and that's whether that's red pigmentation or brown pigmentation, as scarring. And yet most healthcare professionals don't really see that as scarring because mm. the texture remains normal. And I think it's important to have that shift in perspective when you're having a discussion around acne scarring, more so because the treatments for those are going to be different than the treatments that you'll be considering and offering when it comes to trying to address textural changes to the skin. So if we take those one by one, I think for the purposes of this podcast, if apart from just mentioning hypertrophic and keloid scarring, because there's very good guidelines out there for how you address them. Um, if we focus on what most of the scars are, which are atrophic scarring. So the easiest one to recognize is ice pick scarring. And as the name suggests, the shape in profile is that of an ice pick. So typically they will be very narrow. So you'll have a disc that scar that's narrow, typically it's described as less than two millimeters, and it typically goes very deep. Typically, it could go down to the subcutis or deep dermis. So the depth can vary, but they tend to be the deepest type of scars that you have. And they're also, because they're the deepest, they're also the most challenging to treat well. The next type of scarring is what we describe as box scars. Now, box scars tend to be wider and they vary quite considerably in the diameter. They typically have a circular appearance. They have right angled edges, so very sharp edges between the surface of the skin and the perpendicular kind of well type shape. Um, as I said, they're round to oval. And there's two types. And then again, this, they merge into a continuum between those that you would class as shallow and those that you would class as deep. Those that you class as deep tend to be treated more like ice pick scars and how you would think about the types of treatment that you would offer. And finally, rolling scars. And as the name suggests in profile, they have a very shallow sloping edge. They're typically not as deep as ice pick scars or deep box scars. They are soft and they can often merge into each other into large areas of textural change in the skin. Whilst ice pick scars and box scars, typically, although you can have many of them, 
are discrete entities. Good. So for those of you who prefer to visualise things, I'll be uploading diagrams of the different types of scars to our episode notes, along with references for the Goodman-Barron scale for acne scarring. So when you are assessing a patient and you identify the predominant type of scar that they have, how does this then influence the type of treatment that you might offer? Okay, so every patient is going to have a different mix of these type of atrophic scars, assuming they're all atrophic scars. Now, some treatments are much better suited to certain types of scars than others. And so most acne treatment does require more than one type of modality to get the best treatment for that patient and therefore the types of treatments that you're going to select and the order that you select them in will depend on the mix of those different types of atrophic scarring that that patient has. Okay and what else would you take into account when assessing patients? Is skin phototype a particularly important factor too here? Yeah that's a good point. So skin type is a consideration. Um, Patients who have darker skin types will be more likely to develop hypertrophic scarring or keloid scarring. But also in terms of therapeutics, some treatments are quite invasive and cause an epidermal inflammatory response and therefore have much higher risks of post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. And therefore the types of treatments that you may offer may be tailored towards the potential risk of post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. Also similarly, if you do go for treatments that might have that risk, you may decide to pre-treat the patient with something like hydroquinone or a, a treatment that reduces that risk. Now, we've mostly focused on talking about different types of scarring that we see in acne, but a particularly um, common thing that we see is persistent redness as a result of acne. Are you able just to talk us through your approach to managing persistent redness? So redness comes with inflammatory acne. For the majority of people, once the acne has cleared, the inflammatory response will reduce and the redness will reduce. But for some patients, they will have persistent redness that lasts for quite some time and they will be psychologically impacted by that. My approach is, first of all, to let time take its course because all redness will settle eventually. For some patients, they're looking for a treatment that can hasten the resolution of their redness and for that you can use uh, two modalities one is pulse dye laser Uh, that can also be used to improve inflammatory acne um, as well as decrease the redness but also IPL can be used to hasten the resolution of redness. And in terms of treating post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation how would your treatment differ for that? So there's a more uh, well-trodden approach by dermatologists knowing how to approach post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. This is something that's going to occur much more commonly with people with darker skin types. And the sorts of things that we would consider uh, and discuss with the patient would be things like uh, chemical peels, uh, so superficial chemical peels, typically the bleaching creams, so pigmenorm, trilumer, so hydroquinone uh, containing preparations, Azelaic acid can be very good for hyperpigmentation, also very good for inflammatory acne. Um, Topical retinoids can also be good in the long term for hyperpigmentation and also to prep the skin for other um, more invasive procedures. Then there are the pigment-specific lasers that may be appropriate, so Q-switch lasers or Pico lasers. And uh, interestingly, 
the non-ablative fractional lasers, so the lasers I described, heating up lasers, they can also be very good at helping resolve post-inflammatory pigmentation. Okay, thank you for that brilliant introduction to acne scars. We're going to be talking further about the different types of treatment for acne scarring with Dr. Patale in our next episode. I hope you all found that a useful introduction. We've discussed the pathogenesis of acne scars, when to treat them, how to assess acne scarring and the different types of atrophic scars that we can typically see. You can find a summary of today's podcast episode with references and further information on our website, www.stjohnsdermacademy.com under our podcast tab. Here you can also find a link to our podcast survey. We'd hugely welcome your feedback on our podcast to find out about what topics you'd like to hear more about. Finally, I'd just like to thank our sponsors of Derm Academy, Abvi, Lily, Novartis, Sanofi and UCB. They don't have any influence over the material produced in these podcasts, but their support is hugely valuable to us. Thank you very much for listening.